Welcome to the Upside Podcast, powered by Upside Global and hosted by Julian Blinn, founder and CEO of Upside Global. The Upside Podcast is listened to weekly by over 6,000 sports and tech executives from all sports leagues and teams in the United States and around the world. Julian has been developing technologies for professional sports teams for over 10 years and has worked for major tech companies along with sports tech startups. In each episode, Julian interviews global leaders in sports to share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations both on and off the playing field. And now here's your host, Julian Blinn. So this week we have the honor to interview again a group of sports rehab experts. So uh, first you've got Dr. Marco Nunez, uh, the former head athletic trainer for the LA Lakers. So welcome back, Marco. Thank you. We're glad to be back. Great. So, hey, um, uh, then we have Jason Han, uh, the head of rehabilitation for the ADFC, your top MLS team. So welcome back, Jason, as well. Thanks for having me, Julian. No problem. Thank you. And then we have uh, Kevin Martin, uh, the CEO of the Quick Board as well. So welcome back, Mark, uh, Kevin. All right. Thanks for having me, Julian. Great. Uh, thank you, guys. So, hey, uh, I just want to cover uh, a number of topics today. One, uh, you know, that this growing trend of athletes who have their private private staff, right? Whether it's their own strength coach, physical therapist. So we'll talk about how do you manage that, right? To have one athlete working with his own staff and then get into a team settings, right? Because that could be a challenge. Uh, the second topic I want to get your thoughts is, you know, there's this emergence of AI, right? But what are the top use cases for AI in rehabilitation? So we'll talk about that. And I've got some examples uh, for that. And then, you know, as you know, there's a lot of interest towards virtual reality still. So how do you use VR for rehabilitation purposes? So we'll talk about that as well. And then uh, we'll talk about robotics. For example, there's a company called iScape. Some of you already know, they build the robotic massage table, right? I tried it. I was like, this is pretty cool. I felt like I was getting a real massage, right? So, uh, you know, what is your take on that? Is there a real use case? And how does it compare to a massage, for example? And then we'll talk about gamification for rehabilitation, right? Gamification is just a way to keep people engaged, right? Uh, and then uh, there's one study also that got published by Kinvent, so we'll talk about that as well. Okay, so all good? All yeah. good. Right, so hey, the first topic I want to cover, and we touched on that with another podcast with Pierre and Alexi. You know, it's about this growing trend of athletes hiring their private staff, right? They own physical therapists, strength coaches, chefs, fitness coaches. So my question to you guys, how do you deal with athletes using a private physical therapist, right? During the off season, but then how does it impact the rehabilitation when the athletes come back in the team setting? How do you yeah. deal with that? Anybody wants to add any thoughts? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm happy to start with that one. And, and I guess the funny situation with that is I've, I've been in both shoes and I'm currently in the other shoe type of thing. So when I went out with, with the Lakers, that's one of the, the issues that I want to say issues, but a little bit of concern or, or, or trend was starting to happen. And this is maybe around 2010 we were, where we started so slowly seeing that a lot of athletes um, started having their, their, their guy, whether it's strength coach, whether it's physical therapist type of thing. And I remember as a staff, we kind of sat down and sat down with the GM and we had to decide, okay, you know, we're going to take one or two approaches. Either one, we're going to say, no, we're going to cut it off. We're not going to allow it and just completely ban it. Um, and if we do that, are we going to lose the player? Or do we, hey, you know what? No, let's not ban it. Let's sit so when down. When you say lose the player, you going to leave the team? Or what do you mean? 
No, so so what, what happens oftentimes, lose the player, meaning that the player is going to have to either decide, okay, do I want to work with my guy or do I want to work with the staff? And oftentimes okay. what happens is that uh, some players, not all players, some players have the mentality that the, the team is, or the staff on the team is more team oriented. They're, they're, they're looking out for the benefit of the team, not often the player, where a player has their own guy, they kind of see, hey, the guy is, or this, this physical therapist that I've hired, you know, has the interest of me as an as a individual, as a player. So who am I going to choose? The, the, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the staff or the team, because they're, they're getting paid by the team. They're talking to the GM. They're, 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 all, all, everything they do is in the interest of the team. At least that's how the perception is oftentimes for the player type of thing. Um, and that's what I mean by lose, lose the player, in, in a sense, and not, mm-hmm. not go somewhere else, right? Or do you, hey, you know what, let's sit down and let, let's set up meetings with, with, with these physical therapists, independent contractors type of thing, and see how we can work with them and, and help the athlete overall, because that's ultimately the goal type thing. The interesting part right now is that I was at, one, at that side of the shoe at one time and then became the director of sports with the Lakers. Now I'm on the other end. I work with professional athletes. I work with some mm-hmm. NFL players. And now I'm the other person type thing. And the one thing I, I kind of realized, and I think one of the advantages I personally have, is that when I sat with, with, with the head of the trainer for the team, you know, I told him, hey, I was in your shoes. I understand where you're coming from, mm-hmm. and I understand the communication that you need. And, and I think from my end, it, it kind of eased his mind and also eased the general manager's mind. Okay, well, you know, this person has been on this side. They understand, you know, what we need from the player. We understand. And I think that that communication part um, kind of helped ease everybody's, and I was able to kind of continue working. And, and I still continue a line of communication Every week I speak, I talk to the head of the trainer. This is what I see. And, and then at the same time, I have to be open-minded from and, and, and get feedback from them and not just say, no, you're wrong, you're wrong. Hey, what do you see when you examine them? Okay, this is what I see, fine. And then I take that and I work with the athlete and I also communicate with the athlete. The other thing I also find is often sometimes the athletes will be very defensive towards the team, meaning they're like, well, no, like again, like I mentioned, the team is, that doesn't have the best interest in me. And, and my job, I've realized, is all, hey, you know what? No, they do have, you know, not put myself against the team where I, mm-hmm. I, I get it. Sometimes some of these, like, you know, independent contractors, this is their their money making, right? If they lose that player, they either they got to go find another player because that's how they're making the money. So one way, you know, sometimes they do is like they, they, it's almost like they have to make the team look bad so they can make themselves look good in a sense, which kind of sucks. And I'm taking the opposite approach. I'm not bad-mouthing the team. I'm like, hey, they're there to help you. I'm working with them. And, and, and I communicate with the player that, hey, you know, this is what I'm going to tell the team, and this is what they told me. And so there's a line of communication, and, and I've noticed that that kind of so far has worked for me. Yeah, and there, there was one comment also that was made uh, by uh, a friend called Abdul Sila. He worked with Serena Williams. He was like, yeah, but he also worked with Aaron X, which was a player for the, for the Yankees. Okay. And he did say, for example, that uh, Aaron didn't like to work out in the facility. Yep. He didn't like to be working the team sitting. And he would have you get a phone call, you know, from the GM saying, what do we do? You know, how do we solve this situation? Right. And then we have to talk to Aaron and say, look, you were just trying to solve whatever issue there was. Uh, and are you also in that context of you have to intervene and talk to a GM, talk to the athletes? I, I do. And you see, and that's the situation is that a lot of teams, for example, players are starting to realize that, hey, I need more than a 30 minute session. I need more than a 45 minute session hands on with the therapist or the massage therapist or the athletic trainer for me to get what, what I need to get. And they're starting to understand, hey, you know, and, and the thing is that teams may not have the staff 
yeah. to work with each individual player for 30 minutes, 45 minutes type of thing, and you kind of get some of the, the results that they want to get. So the players are starting to realize, hey, you know what, I need my own person because I need those things. So, mm-hmm. for example, when I go out to, to a city and I travel with players, I spend a good two hours with that individual working on soft tissue, mobilization, uh, stability, strength, and we go through everything. And granted, teams don't have the staff to spend, you know, our, uh, anywhere from 45 minutes to two hours. And, and granted, the staff probably doesn't want to do that because otherwise, if you do that, you would have to stay there to like, what, 10 p.m., 11 p.m., working with every, every individual player and then having come back. So, so I think there is, um, there's got to be a middle ground uh, for, 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 for this to kind of happen. So, you know, and, and it's not that the, the, the team at the Lutheran, because when I was there, we had the staff of four and we, um, we only have 15 players in the NBA. You have NFL, you have up to 60 players. And even the staff of sports medicine staff may consist up to 10. That's like, you know, one person, you know, player type of thing. So that, that kind of still time. So, yeah, so the, so I communicate with, with the sports medicine staff. I communicate with the GM. We have meetings and I make sure that they, they, they feel that, that I'm not there to, quote unquote, take the player away from them. And I think that's one of the perception a lot of, um, at least that was perception when I was there, like, you know, is this person trying to take this player away from us? And then vice versa. Mm-hmm. The, the personal the personal independent contractor has that thing okay well this team's trying to take the player away from me type of thing and then i think if you break that and kind of make work a team i think that that's probably one of the best things but it's tough so i don't know i'll let you guys think <laughs> well, that makes sense yeah thank you marco uh kevin jason what, what is your experience with that in those um, situations I, I can add a little bit to it it's it's so one of like the two main controllables that you have are number one your style of communication Right. Um, your your personal style of communication it is very beneficial that Marco's been on both sides of the coin. I've been on both sides of the coin. So yeah. to to at the end of the day, it's it's looking at the best interests of the athlete and, mm-hmm. and his his or her health, and ultimately what does that do for the team. So communicating in a good way, involving the athlete, and trying to figure out what's best. The other thing that we can control is internally is our own quality. And like Marco said, with within making our own quality better, we also have to know our limitations and not mm-hmm. taking not take things too personally. And if we are short staffed, then we're not able to give this athlete as much time or attention as he or she deserves, then maybe it might be a good thing that they're going to the outside. So at least us at LEFC, we've evolved over time where we started with at least on the medical side we were a staff of three and now we're a staff of five we uh, marco knows judy very well we brought on judy full time last year and that was and that was just communication within our organization with the gm of like hey we're bringing in big players that are used to a certain level of care in europe so and then they come to the states and then it's let's say it's not the way that we do things but if we want the league and we want the team to move in a positive direction, we're going to have to up our game. So then it becomes discussions within the organization of like, what do we need from a personnel stand from a personnel standpoint to make things work? So it's communication and then controlling the controllables within our own team within at least my experience within the MLS. It's, it's very, it's quite rare during the season. Um, to to work with someone that's on the outside or like someone has their own guy but the off season it's 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 very common especially with our athletes that are that live out of the country we have to vet them or talk to them and meet with them and like marco said we 
we speak with them on a weekly basis. If we need some objective measures, we try to make sure that they're able to send that to us, send us videos, communicating with the athlete themselves. Um, but it's just communication and, and knowing our limitations as well. Yeah, I agree. And then I think one, one thing Jason had, had mentioned and, and that it is also this, when you're working in a team setting, you're part of the sports management staff, having the support from management and the general manager specifically to understand, hey, we need to either bring more staff or, hey, it's okay for this player to kind of have their own person, but we, we're having a little time, kind, of, kind of communication back and forth and having support from the people upstairs and understanding that as well. Yep, makes sense. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, Marco. Kevin, do you have any feedback, thoughts on that as well? Yeah, I don't want to uh, beat a dead horse. I mean, uh, communication is obviously, uh, you know, paramount. And then also <clears throat> on both sides, the willingness to work with each other, which, mm -hmm. you know, as you guys talked about, has become more common. And, you know, I think on the, the private side, not the team side, it's, it's, you know, in terms of fear of losing the athlete, you know, who may be your, your guy, um, you know, honestly, if that individual is is confident in their abilities and they're good at what they do, I mean, they ought to increase that relationship with the team and show them, hey, look, I'm communicating every step of the way, keeping in touch with you, you know, on everything, you know, sharing those objective measures, milestones. And I mean, if anything, it's going to help them. the team, not only the player, but the team may start referring to them and and, right. you know, it's going to be a win, win, win. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, hey, guys, uh, thank you, uh, Kevin. The next question I want to talk about is a lot of talk about AI, right? Starting with ChatGPT. That's like the big, big buzzword right now for generated AI. But, you know, what are the implications? What are the top use cases or interesting use cases for sports, right? In the context of performance, rehabilitation. And there's a couple of example examples of how AI could be used, right? Just give you some examples for rehab. One is to use AI to create more comprehensive treatment planning protocols by factoring in the patient's health condition and history. So AI can generate insights on that. So what's the right protocol, for example? Uh, the second use case is analyzing the posture and the motion tracking data, you know, to identify if a patient is practicing an activity incorrectly, for example. Uh, another example is, you know, processing massive amount of, of data to help practice executive make evidence-based decisions. So I guess my, my a question to you guys is what is your take on AI, right? Uh, what are the most interesting use cases that we could see out there? Anybody has any thoughts? I, I can jump in a little bit when yeah. when ChatGPT kind of was coming, was very, was coming around the corner, starting to play with it. And then, hey, what is this rehab protocol? Look for this. And it, I think there's a bright. I think there's a bright future with AI. Yeah. Um, as of right now, it's not at a point where it's going to do everything for you. I, I look at it as a resource, and maybe like a checks and check and balance. Like, it, if you're a professional, you've been doing it over time. You've developed your flow, but it's also good to cross reference it with other clinicians, with maybe an AI platform that spits out a, a rehab protocol and like, oh, I didn't think about this. You know, it's, so it's, it's really a check and balance and a way to make your process even better. I don't think it's at a point where it can do everything for us, but I don't understand technology as well as others, but you know, it, it's, it seems exciting from that standpoint. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with, with with Jason as far as what he said, as far as using it more as a, a guidelines or cross reference, like you mentioned, Jason type of thing. I mean, I use that all the time to make sure that you know when I'm rehabbing somebody, you know, these are the certain and and, and I mean, you you refer them to to us currently. They refer to as protocols. There's protocols for ACL structures. There's protocols for meniscus, you know, uh, uh, meniscectomies, anything of that sort type thing. But but at the end of, at the end of the day, and this is the one thing that I, I think I kind of always preach whenever I seminars or, or talks is that you don't want to treat injury. You oftentimes people tend to forget you need to treat the individual. And I don't know whether AI or chat GPT will take the individual into consideration when you are doing rehab type of thing. So I, I do see AI or chat GPT going to some, you know, going far, but I think there's going to be a plateau or, or a point where an actual practitioner can, you know, can add more value or add additional value to it or take it a little further than that. Um, because the, the way I see it as far as now, unless AI can start, um, you can actually input some of these individuality, you know, information or data, stuff like that, then maybe. But I, I, I see more of the AI and ChatGPT more like a, perhaps like a kind of like a cookie cutter program type thing where you input the, the, the surgery. This person had an ACL reconstruction. They used a hamstring graft. AI, AI chat GPT is going to just spit out, boom, here's the rehab program. And let's go ahead and do it. But there's always more to it. There's you know the, the individual you, that, that you have to kind of consider type of thing. And I, I don't know, maybe it might get there. If it is, I don't know, Jason, we might be a little concerned, but we'll see. <laughs> <Boy>. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it really depends on who the surgeon is. On exactly. who the surgeon is, the the method yeah. that they use, what, what type of mm -hmm. angers, single versus double bundle. There's all these little intricacies that yeah. it's just not there. But as a general guideline, I like it. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Now, one, one thing to keep in mind is if you take ChatGPT, it's based on old data. It's not fresh data. So that's one problem. Right. And, and I think, and I'm just me thinking, right? But uh, I think if you inject like player data, player data into something like ChatGPT, it goes into the public domain in terms of privacy, that's, that could become a problem, right? Um, so, you know, because it's Microsoft, right? It's, it's basically open. But anyway, I think we just had a beginning, like you said, the beginning of it. It can't do everything. It's not going to take over your job, you know, the job of a physical therapist or anything like that. But uh, we just yeah. had a beginning. Yeah, yeah. So, so there, there was like, like when you look at statistics in basketball, right? And you look at and you see, hey, you know what? Uh, Kobe Bryant has, a, you know, he's, he has a great shot. He shoots at ninety percent from the right, from the right arch type of thing, right? So your goal as, as, as a defense, and this is what you, well, all the data, all the analysis, all the AI telling you, hey, if you eliminate that and take that away from him, he won't be able to score. No. If you take that away from him, he's going to figure out a different way to yeah. get his 40 points, 45 points. And AI and Chad GPT is not going to tell you that type of thing. So that's kind of yeah. like the element kind of comes in. The individuality yeah. type of thing. So we'll see. Makes sense. Uh, Kevin, you have any thoughts on AI? I mean, you have your, you know, you could... I mean, are you using machine learning today for your product, for example, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I think, um, you know, first of all, in terms of like a general protocol, like you said, there's documented ones, but they're constantly evolving, right? With uh, all the evidence coming out. So, I mean, in order to really, and this is gonna take years, but to get, get protocol recommendations, anything from technology to general exercises, I mean, it's gonna need a, a reliable database and up-to-date database that it's pulling from to, to give you good information. And, you know, at this point, I don't know how that would happen because, 
you know, it's, it's comes down to PowerPoints, you know, and, and when you go to, you know, individual presentations, it's, it would be tough for, you know, um, I think for AI in this moment in time to give you something that's of value in terms of a general rehab progression, um, you know, down to, you know, the, like you said, uh, Jason, the types of anchors. So I think it's going to take a long time to get, um, you know, the, the database where it needs to be in order to, you know, have those, um, you know, recommendations. And then, you know, I think the lowest hanging fruit though is, is, you know, these athlete management systems, whether it's a proprietary one within a team or, you know, some more, you know, ones in the market where, you know, they, you know, at this moment, you know, have their recommendations in there. Uh, but I just see that as probably the, the most intuitive way that it's going to, you know, be implemented is plugging that AI into the athlete management systems. That's, you know, uh, pulling data points from several technologies and inputs from uh, staff members. Well, I, I, that's very mentioned EMS. So that makes me think about something like Zone 7, for example, right? Zone 7, they'll take a large amount of data and then they'll tell you, okay, from my understanding, right? So there's a high risk of injury on this player on the, on you know, on the, uh, the right ankle, for example, right? But I think the issue that I've seen is, there's a couple. Uh, one is maybe the level of confidence of those predictions. And number two, as when I talk to teams, for example, they talk about the alert fatigue, right? What if you have 12 guys that are flagged, right? Mm. And you gotta, I mean, you gotta check on 12 guys, right? You can't, if you have limited staff, what you guys just said, then well, how are you gonna do it, right? And how do you know for sure like, there's a high risk of injury on his right ankle, right? Because the confidence is not super high. So it almost makes your job harder. It gives you more work to do. That's not kind of my take on some of the things that I've seen. Right? Yeah, we've had some experience with these predictive models. I, I, it's good in the sense where it starts a discussion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then, like I said, it's, it's onus on the, on the team themselves or ourselves to have that discussion and to talk amongst the other disciplines. It's a, it's a good exercise. But if it overdoes it and flags everyone, you're like, dude, we have to practice. Everyone's, <laughs> we yeah. need to practice. We need to get that one to two guys that are really on the really flag. But I think if we are doing a good job and we're intuitive enough to see it and to look at our own data and yep. hey, like they're, they're in the red zone a lot right now, what's going on? And it's not just what the data is telling us, it's actually not just what's happening at the facility or in matches. It may be something that's happening at home, not enough mm -hmm. sleep. So, you know, we have to go several steps to, to get to the root cause. But again, it starts a discussion, which is great, but if it overdoes it, you can get that overall fatigue, like turn this alert off. It's too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. No, no. Yeah. Jay's absolutely right. It's one of the things is sometimes, like you said, Julian, too much data might be too much data. Sometimes too much data might muddle the water type of thing. Mm -hmm. And then it could just kind of make it confusing. And like Jason mentioned, you know, uh, fatigue, tiredness, lack of sleep. Uh, you know, if you have kids at home, you're not sleeping. And that's kind of interesting that, that you mentioned that, Jason, because every time I work with clients, before we even started, you ask them, hey, how do you feel? What's your energy? Did you sleep? Did you eat? And sometimes it's like, hey, you know what? I only got two hours of sleep yesterday. I didn't really eat anything. I lost, I lost some appetite. So when that happens, whatever protocol program I had already ready in mind set for today, I got to throw out the window and I got to change it because I know he or she's not going to be able to. Because if I do implement that and they're already fatigued, they're already tired, 
I may even kill him even more or create an injury and now I can't do that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. that yeah. makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Hey, uh, another hot topic, I think, uh, you know, like for example, VR, virtual reality, right? That's been out there for a while. Uh, and now you've got the Apple Vision Pro, right, from Apple, right? People think it's going to be a game changer, it's create a mass market, but specifically to sports performance, right, rehabilitation. Uh, there's a number of use cases, but one that's interesting, and there's a company like Rezzle, it's a company in the UK, they work with soccer team, they build those VR experience uh, that helps to simulate environments, right? When you have a guy who's going through an ACL injury, it helps them going through uh, with the rehabilitation process, right? So what is your take on, on VR for rehabilitation? Do you think uh, it's here to stay? Do you think it's, it's yeah, it's kind of gimmicky, but uh, what is your take on that? When when you sent me this question, I was it, it interested me because when we look at technology, it's where did what holes does it fill, right? Mm-hmm. So like depending on the environment that you're at. When I looked at, I've only used VR once or twice. I put on my mm-hmm. nephew's Oculus. It was cool, like I was shooting <laughs> yeah. things. So I don't really have a lot of experience with it. But when when looking at our own RTT processes and stuff like that, like depending on the coach, sometimes the coach doesn't want to involve a player into uh, team drills or team environments until they're a hundred percent ready. Mm-hmm. So in that process, like on a one-on-one environment, how do you mimic more game-like activities? You bring in other players, but 11 players on the field, you're not going to get 11 players or on a team mm-hmm. on the, for, for football. So maybe use case is like in that state where you're trying to mimic the environment and speed of true play like on the field you're having visuals you're not at least in soccer you're not going to have the ball in that situation but you have players around and you have them turning their head if they're a midfielder or cutting in a certain way mimicking those different angles versus just having cones that might be an option so uh it's just interesting. Um, it'll, it'll be really cool if they can actually put something together like that. But from a return to train standpoint, I feel that's one place it may help. Well, Rezo, I mean, I, I really uh, suggest you guys look at that. Rezo, uh, the guy that built it was part of a Premier League club. I think it was Man City. And what they built was a virtual reality experience when you get real-time data too. And it's simulates environment. And they see, they've seen you know, good improvement. Uh, guys coming back from from ACL injury and and so I think we're already there. I mean, they already guys like that. We already build a system that's used by primary clubs today, you know. So uh, if you want to learn more, Jason, I'm happy to uh, put you in touch with those guys. But anyway, um, absolutely. Yeah, uh, uh, Marco or, or Kevin, do you guys have any? Uh, any yeah. yeah. No, like like Jason mentioned, I think one of the toughest things to try to um, simulate as far as when you're having actually return to play from. Um, whether ACL injury, whether meniscus, whatever it is, is that true game situation, um, right. a predict- predictability type of thing. And like Jason mentioned, you're not going to get the whole team to go. And, but even if you put a player into, oftentimes if you put them into a scrimmage game with your own teammates, the teammates are going to you know, understand this player's coming back from an injury and they're going to be cautious, right? Versus if you're playing against the opponent, on the contrary, the opponent is going to actually, you know, true opponent is going to go after you because they understand that, hey, you're coming back from this injury, whether you're not mentally ready or anything of that sort, I'm going to kind of go at your top thing. Very, very common type of thing. I remember, like, example, like Kobe, when he had, had a, a sprained thumb, type of thing, he didn't want to get taped because he said, hey, if you tape me, they're going to see that I'm taped. They're going to go and try to smack my hand type of thing. 
So just let it be type thing. So like like just mentioned, I think that the, this virtual reality would be great for a return to trainer, return to player, return to competition situation, try to try to simulate true competition um, in that sense and, and try to add that unpredictability movement where majority of the injuries kind of tend to occur. Yeah. No, thank you, Marco. Kevin, any thoughts on VR? Have you tried VR before? Um, no, believe it or not, I have I have not. I mean, we actually have a um, you know beta version of uh, kind of a mixed reality uh, type technology, and you know yeah. it's it's VR. It's I mean I think it's it's really cool. It's not necessarily for everybody because I know a lot of reviews are uh, you know people aren't comfortable with the headsets. They're not you know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. being put in you know certain environments now real world type environments like some of these game prep you know type technologies i think there's definitely application there um and you know in terms of the pros of it i think anytime you can replicate real world scenarios um you know that that's going to help on the outcome side given there's a lot of um you know there's a lot of uh asterisks there but um you know replicating those real world scenarios you know can help improve outcomes um you know by adding multitasking or cognitive load or even those specific game situations uh so i think that's going to be extremely interesting you know coming about and you know maybe mixed reality is is more a little more re relevant for everybody um and then it's going to be engaging and motivating right so if you're able to incorporate it, you know, earlier in rehab, um, you know, they're going to be, you know, more engaged than, you know, maybe some of your more typical or traditional, you know, rehab interventions. Uh, so it's I think it's it, it like anything like with the, the AI. I mean, there's there's a long way to go. But, you know, the last few years have started seeing some interesting, you know, technologies. And, um, you know, it's just working with practitioners, you know, clinicians, you know, and teams to really target you know um what what gaps are these going to fill like like jason mentioned so um i think again there's going to be significant value down the road but uh partnership between companies teams and and uh clinicians is going to be extremely important yeah thank you kevin that makes sense um hey uh, another topic i want to mention um for example at the, the new york summit that we did there was this company called i escape and i went to their office in chelsea and I think Marco, you did too. Um, maybe you didn't, I'm not sure. But anyway, so they build a robotic massage table. It sounds crazy, but you basically sit down, put your head down, you can watch films, and you have your robot give you a massage. You can program it, you can change the intensity of the massage, uh, you can change the music, the videos, and then you get a report back on you know the, the, the massage, basically. Uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin Love actually invested. Uh, he, used to, he works for the, for the Miami Heat now. Uh, is one of the investors. But um, do you think that there's a future, or you know, how interesting do you think uh, is robotic for for rehabilitation purposes? I think. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, so I, I, go. Go. Okay. So, so I, I guess my my question kind of kind of goes back to kind of like the AI type of thing, right? Whether, uh, you know, for example, when, when I work with somebody, we do an assessment, I may do soft tissue, uh, joint mobilization, I do a joint mobilization type of thing. So it, it's never, um, every time I get them on the table, I do a quick assessment, see what they need that day. I don't know whether, and I guess I didn't have the opportunity, I was, I was trying to squeeze it in to go see them, but I did it. 
will this massage table be able to do that assessment, identify key areas that they need to focus on, and then work on those areas? Or is this more of just, okay, you know what, I just want to get a nice little full good massage, a little kind of like, you know, deep tissue, um, you know, uh, uh, or, or Swedish massage, and I, I can, fine, by all means, you, if you're an athlete, you're an individual, uh, if you're going to go to a massage parlor, you're going to go to Massage Envy, you're going to go to Brooke Williams and, hey, I just want to get a, a feel-good massage, then I, I think this would be a, a great, and I think it may put them out of business type of thing. But when it comes to the whole thing about, like, actually assessing and and, and um, treating the individual again and finding key points, so, and maybe it does. I didn't have a chance to see it. And if it does, again, Jason, we got to fix it. <laughs> I, I think it's the latter, right? So uh, from when I, when I tried it, you can pre-program it. If you have a diagnostic about uh -huh. an athlete, you can pre-program the robotic massage table to do exactly what you needs to be needs to be done. So yeah. it does, yeah. Right, but but the thing I, I the thing about it is that when you're working with an individual, right? You, I'm constantly assessing the situation. So what one area may be tight, and I release it. What happens oftentimes yeah. that the, the the individual get up like, oh, okay, it feels good now, but now I'm feeling the tightness on this side because. This side was, you know, it, it was compensating and they didn't realize that they had something else. So then I have to redirect it and redo it. So whenever I'm treating something, I'm constantly assessing them, assessing them, assessing it. So it's not, I just come in mm -hmm. and, hey, this is what I'm going to do. This is a protocol type thing. Yeah. Uh, um, so I don't know whether this would be able to do that. I, again, any AI, any chat, chat GPT, can they do that? I don't know. I haven't seen anything do that. Um, but like I said, if it's like, hey, I can put in the program. Um, I want, you know, they're, they're tight on, on the pectoralis major muscle. Focus on that. Boom. Do it. Okay, fine. Then it may work. Yeah, and they can do it at home, right? Yeah, they can do it yeah, at home. They've got a robotic size table. They can do it on their own. Correct. Um, but there's limitations, right? Like anything. Um, Correct. Any, anybody else, Kevin, Jason? Um, I think from a from a general standpoint, it might be very, very beneficial. Um, yeah. Like like personally, if I want to go home and get a massage, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. exactly. It's fine. And if you can mimic someone's someone's hands, then even uh -huh. better. Right, we already have massage chairs. They do a, a okay job, okay. like a mm -hmm. shiatsu and tapping and all that stuff. But uh, as far as replacing an actual clinician and the decision-making skills that we throughout that we do throughout the process, I think that's uh, a ways away. Um, so, like, like Marco does, like I'm, I'm sure, like just palpation skills and feeling mm -hmm. tissue tolerance and and rebound and when it releases and how long do you hold for this? It works this well for this guy, but this guy, I need a longer hold. Mm -hmm. um, being, being able to read the athlete as a person instead of just the body and seeing how they react, not just like the tissue that's underneath you, but the parasympathetic versus the sympathetic state and where they're coming in from. I think those are intangibles that good clinicians bring to the table um, that are going to be very hard to replicate in the future. But as far as like a, from a general massage standpoint, we already have foot massagers, we already have chairs, like I said. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's interesting to see if, if it goes in that direction and it just becomes like a, a price point thing. Am I yeah. willing to pay? I don't even know how much this table costs, but if- I, I would tell you outside, I will okay. tell you outside. I'm not gonna <laughs> give the price here. Yeah. But, well, uh, yeah. I, I know, like, like, like Jason said on, on a positive note as well, is that if teams have it, let's say a player comes in and they just want you have a massage therapist and the player just wants to come and get a feel good massage type of thing. Well, fine. Hey, get on the table type of thing. So then you mm -hmm. have, you have better resources. So now you have, 
you have your massage therapist, hey, no, I need you to work on this athlete because this athlete has, is more individual. But if you're just coming in a recovery, you want a lymphatic massage to, you know, uh, recovery day. Okay, fine. These are what the machines are for. And if they work, then they work type of thing. So you can use it as kind of management on the on, on your resource. And it kind of maybe takes away, um, doesn't take time from a clinician like, like Jason mentioned. So that, mm. that could definitely be helpful. Yeah, 100%. Okay. Kevin, do you have now, any? Now I want one. You want one? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay, so I have, to check, I have to ask them if they have a facility or a table in, in LA. But if you ever come to New York, for sure, I can I can put you in touch with them. Yeah, they'll, give, awesome. they'll get you a message. Um, um, Kevin, do you, do you have any thoughts on that as well? Rehabilitation, robotics? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I think just to, um, you know, throw it out there that whether it's AI or robotics, I mean, in human intuition is going to be tough to ever replicate. Um, so there's always going to be a need for that human touch. Right. And, and so it's, I can see how the, um, the a escape, um, you know, it's what they've developed is awesome. Mm -hmm. And, um, I can see how, with different inputs and the, you know, machine learning over time, how a static massage environment could, you know, work in that sense. Uh, but in terms of a dynamic rehab environment, man, I just, I think that's going to be a tough one to get to. Like if you're, you, you know, for uh, mobilization, you're ranging somebody. What if that thing accidentally <laughs> pushes the range too far? <laughs> now, I, I mean, yeah. I would get a little nervous when it comes to, you know, putting somebody's, you know, leg in some sort of ranging, you know, uh, piece of equipment and all of a sudden it, you know, me, worst case scenario, malfunctions and uh, or the power goes out, you know, like what happens when the, it's the power, like, or the technology is down. Now all of a sudden you're like, uh, can y'all, can y'all do what this machine was doing? So I think it's going to have its place, but in terms of robotics and rehab, um, you know, again, it's, I think it's, it's, there's a lot of intuition in rehab. There's a lot of communication and, and personalization, personalization to it. So I just think it would be, it will be tough to um, really implement that, um, you know, across the board in a rehab environment. Yeah. Well, I, I would say this, I tried it. I was like blown away. Yeah. You know, I was like, like Jason, I want one, you know, yeah. I, mean, I can afford one right now, but uh, it's it's pretty cool. So, but there's you know there's pros and cons. Right? Well, and I think in on the in the massage environment, I can see how that can evolve in terms of like a rehab, you know, uh, yeah. implementation. Like you know, you're talking about ranging, you know, patients or athletes. Like that's I think it could get a little dicey. Well, I mean, I know they want to put those robotic massage table in like spa, right? Resorts that might not be as risky because there's less at stake as working on an athlete, for example, right? That might be fine, uh -huh. right? So you kind of have to take that into consideration, I think. Yeah, and, and, um, yeah. and, and if, a, if a player has one at home and all they want is just to get like low lymphatic drainage massage or feel good massage, they can just do it whenever they want versus having, having to schedule somebody and then you have somebody coming in. It's like, hey, I can't do this at 10, I can't do it at 11, but mm -hmm. I'm available at this time. Then you have that whole um, trying to schedule, schedule to someone to kind of come in type of thing where this is because more of flexibility. Um, so I, I can kind of see it, like Kevin mentioned, in, in that area type of thing as well. Yeah, and don't worry, guys. It's not going to put you out of out of business. It, it, it's not. <laughs> no, I just I just want one now. So. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Now it is cool. I mean, you know, I was like, wow, this is really cool. So, uh, and it feels like a real massage, almost like a real massage. Yeah. Uh, hey, the, the last. Yeah. Go ahead. Two minutes. Okay. 
So hey, uh, one quick one. Uh, so Kinvent, uh, which is one of the the company that we had on the you know on the show, they published a new study uh, around uh, inline uh, dynamometry, uh, and what it says that if it's performed at 60 60 knee flexion, it provides reliable measurements of quadriceps strengths in healthy individuals. So maybe a marker, right? You went through it, you looked at it. How would you summarize what the key finding was in your in your own ways? Well, I mean, the, the, what, what I took from it is that you have this device that's supposed to be a, a more cost effective, I guess, if you yeah. want to call it that, that gives you the same the um, same data or the same um, benefits. Uh, benefits of using something that's more expensive where you have to go take the player type thing like a Bidex or anything of that sort. Uh, that's what, what I took from it type of thing. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so it's, it's, it's more affordable, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jason, a, yeah, go ahead. We've we've used handheld dynamometers in the past, and I think they are reliable as well as as long as the setup is good, right? Yeah. Because okay. it's um, you're you're taking an isometric strength reading, and if if I'm as the clinician is holding the device and then trying to withstand the force, but especially with the quad guys are pretty strong. They're gonna, yeah. I can't mm. stand. Like we used to do things where I would. Uh, position myself against the wall and then they would kick so hard where like the table that they're on moved back so yeah. there's as long as the setup is good yeah. then i can see where this would be very very beneficial and more cost effective okay that makes sense yeah. thank you kevin hey, you have hey, any hey, thoughts hey. go ahead yeah i mean just in uh complete agreement with with uh those guys and and i think the only thing i'd add is is hey if that if that affords somebody else you know, the, the ability to uh, objectively track a patient, whereas they wouldn't have a biodex otherwise, and they standardize that, that setup, like Jason was talking about, um, you know, where it's repeatable in terms of the measurements, I think there's significant value there. Okay. Any, any last comment on that? Okay. All right, guys, hey, we, we're at the end of the podcast, but I want to thank you guys again for your time today. Uh, you know, it's always great to to talk to you guys. So thank you. That's good. Thanks, Thanks for having us, Julian. Thank, thank you, Julian. Thank you for listening. To access past episodes and other research, articles, and analysis of sports technology, please visit our website, theupside.us. Subscribe to the Upside newsletter and receive full access to our sports tech business letter and website. Royalty-free music is provided by ibaudio.com. The Upside podcast provides timely insights and interviews with global leaders in sports technology. Until next time, keep looking to the Upside.